And so today we're going to talk about unity, and a lot of what I'm going to talk about is like I would talk about with general unity between brothers and sisters. But I want to, I'm going to keep bringing it back toward generations because it, it's, a, it's an important aspect. So we're going to look at uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's in John 17. Um, it's Jesus' longest recorded prayer. And in this prayer, one of his chief concerns is for the disciples, not just those that are with him there, but throughout all, all time. You and I are included in this prayer. And the first thing he prayed for them and for us and all believers across time is for unity amongst believers with a similar intimacy which Jesus has in the Trinity with the Father and the Spirit. He's praying for a unity in which that I can't even comprehend that we would have it. So let's read these. So I'm going to jump around because I'm just... I, I, I'm taking out some, a little bit of the stuff that doesn't exactly um, apply. It's a, long, it's a long chunk. So we're doing verse 11, verse 14, and verses 20 through 23. I do encourage you to go and read all of John 17. But here it is. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name, and now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are united. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. In verses 20 to 23, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they, may so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We are a people not of this world. As believers in Jesus, we now belong to a kingdom which is not of this world. Because we live according to the principles and ways of the kingdom of God, we look different than the world in which we live. And one of the key differences is that in the kingdom, where everything comes under the will of God, there exists true unity. So we are an enigma when we remain united. This kind of unity is so foreign to the world that it astonishes the world and becomes a testimony of God's love for them. Unity that is not of this world, is a light to the world. You want to be a light to the world? You want to show people the love of Jesus? Then let's be unified. And let's be unified across generations. We should be a people... Oh, I'm skipping ahead. Unity is a primary feature of the kingdom and should be fought for. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to, live, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. We should be a people known for our unity. So much so that we are a people that are fighting for unity and against division. Unity isn't just supposed to be like, oh, nice, I'm friends with that person. 
No, it's something that we're actively for. It's something that is on our minds. This is what we are about, a people for unity, a people that are interested in unifying with our peers, with our leaders, and across generations, all believers. Not unity for unity's sake, but unity under the will of God, united in the Spirit. It's only in the kingdom, under the will of God, submitted to Him, that we are united. Unity of this world is unity under the will of man. It's weak, it's fracture-prone, and it lacks power. Lacks power. When we say, I am going to be united to you, my brother and sister, I am saying, I am coming under the will of God, and I am seeking His will, and I'm uniting under His guidance and His authority with you. Not mine. It's not that I agree, it's not that I agree or disagree with somebody and like, oh nice, now now me, me and you are friends. Sorry, my it's it's all loose. So it just it's just gonna keep doing that. I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm gonna be submitted to the Lord. You be submitted to the Lord. And together we're gonna be united under the will of the Lord. This is what unity in the kingdom looks like. A key feature of the kingdom is that it is a kingdom of true, real, complete unity because all are under God and it's in his name and by his power that unity takes place. And you can even say that it requires power in the spirit of God for unity to blossom. Otherwise, unity in the world, at some point it fractures. At some point it breaks. It doesn't last. Maybe for a time, but not really. But unity requires us to be connected. Not that we just don't, not that we don't just fight or be rude to one another. Unity isn't about just me and you getting along. Because I could get along with you if I stand on the other side of the room and never come in contact with you. Right? There's never a problem if you and I don't connect. But unity in the kingdom is about connection. It's about seeking unity with one another. It's about being next to one another. We're connected in a real way. I think our, our, I think our church does a good job at this. It's something we should keep doing. Older generations looking to get around the younger generations. Younger generations look to be around the older generations, partner and connect. And, the, and there's roles that we play in that that we'll talk about in just a second. But the call to unity cannot be skirted through disconnection. The call to unity cannot be skirted through disconnection. In youth group, I like to make a lot of original games, games that manifest, they're, they're in my head and then they manifest in reality. The problem with that is oftentimes they're not fully thought through and so I have to come up with rules on the fly. And, uh, but our students are always, always looking for loopholes. They know my way of making games and they're just, oh, well, we didn't say we couldn't do this, so I'm gonna do this. Oh, well, you know, if you, re if you really listen to what he said, it means I can go and do this. No, no, and I have to start adjusting the rules. When it comes to unity, there's no loopholes. There's no loopholes. It requires us to be connected to one another. Saying, well, as long as you stay over there and I'm here, I'm fine, isn't the answer or a loophole to unity. Because unity isn't about just getting along, although peace is the goal but coming together in the spirit to accomplish the will of God. 
we are connected. We're going after the same goal. We're on the same team. My win is your win. I'm rooting for you and you for me. I'm do all, doing all I can for your success, and you're doing the same for me. Unity and connection is a big deal. So much so that we should chase reconciliation with one another, even as you're in the presence of God. Look at this in Matthew 5, 23-24, Jesus is saying, hey, even going to the temple to make a sacrifice isn't an excuse to not be unified and reconciled with your brother. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled with that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And this links up to, and I wish I had enough time to go into it, this links up to Samuel's rebuke of King Saul when he says obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Unity and standing rightly with one another before the Lord is to obey the Lord. Obey by chasing connection and unity with one another. A connected church is a healthy church, especially across generations. I actually see this as, as kind of one of my roles, is to ensure that we remain, we remain connected, generation to generation. It takes work. It's much easier to skirt, but it's worth it. Sometimes you see the fruits and rewards here, and we're thankful for the Lord for every time we get to see that. Oftentimes, we won't see it until the kingdom. That's where we put away our treasure. That's where it's really worth it. But here's the, here's the picture I believe should be painted in our minds of how unity works in the church, what connection look, looks like. I don't think connection is our, is our boomers going and playing dodgeball with Gen Z. I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the answer. The millennials here are still dominating them. We got it. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> I know, now they're going to be like, oh, you're going to see, you're going to see, Steve. I do think that it's praying for them. Fighting on their behalf in prayer. Looking for ways to partner with them. Investing in them and their families, supporting their efforts, offering wisdom that the Lord has shared with you, encouraging them and pushing them forward in what God has set before them, calling out who they are and their true identity in Christ, at, <clears throat> true identity in Christ, sorry. Throughout scripture, we get various pictures of this, of this kind of unity. It looks like Moses leading a nation and passing the baton to, to Joshua to continue following the will of God. It looks like Esther and Mordecai, where Esther submitted to Mordecai and Mordecai directed Esther and spoke truth into her life that she was created for such a time as this. It looks like David desiring to build the temple but obeying God's direction that it was for his son Solomon. It looks like Elijah and Elisha. It looks like Paul and Timothy. And one day at the end of all of this, I want to say it looks like what's happening at the salt mine. We need to be, each generation, connected to one another because our success depends on it. I'm going to read from Exodus 17. Now catch me here. This is, I'm not saying this is what this section of Scripture is about. 
I'm saying this is kind of the picture in my mind of what this looks like. It offers us a good picture. So it says this, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, or something like that, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the armies of Amalek for us. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of, the, of a nearby mountain. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Am Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. I believe this is a picture of the kingdom unity across generations. A picture. God gives Joshua and Israel victory on the battlefield, but it required a unity between generations. There would have been a time in Moses' life where he would have taken up the sword himself, but his role now was to put his hands up, to hold up the rod, playing his part in the victory. The Lord gives them their victory. We understand this. All the glory goes to God. But they each have roles to play. I believe in our own city, there's victory that the Lord plans to give us. There's victory that we have had. The Lord plans for our participation. Each generation plays a role. Based on the way the story is written, I can only conclude that Moses had a role in Joshua's victory as a man of God who commanded and instructed Joshua from that place. And Joshua, out of a posture of honor and unity, this is like to the younger generation, out of a posture of honor and unity, obeyed the command of the older generation, and in that obedience, he played his role in the victory. All generations have a role to play. For one, it's to hold a posture of honor. For the other, it's to follow the Lord. And from your own pursuit of the kingdom, guide the younger generation in kingdom principles. Listen, Joshua has the sword. But God doesn't give the victory through the sword, but through the raised rod of Moses. There's a connection between Moses' rod being raised, Moses' rod being down. You could say victory was more dependent on the hands of Moses than the sword of Joshua. Kingdom unity brings about victory. There's unity here that brings about victory on the battlefield. We know that the Lord can give them, could have given them victory in any numerous amounts of ways. And we see it throughout Scripture. Through this way, they're surrounding a wall, right? Seven days going around and around. In this way, they don't, even, they don't even attack. The Lord comes in and, and they start attacking one another. So we understand that the Lord is fighting on their behalf. But in this circumstance, there is roles for each of them to play. Victory is found in kingdom unity amongst the generations. And we have a role to play. As younger generations, connection with the other generations is is true unity, is where God plans to bring the victory. Listen, I desire to obey and follow the commands of the Lord. He's put stuff on my heart, and I want to be, I want to be obedient to the Lord. But when I look back 
in seeking out to obey. And in just about every circumstance, there's someone of another generation partnering with me to go about that obedience. Cheering me along, guiding me, encouraging me, offering me wisdom and wise counsel, fighting on my behalf in prayer as I go and do all the Lord has put before me. This unity has been a vital element in my life. I need it. I think what the enemy does is he tells the younger generation, you have all of the youth, you can do it alone. But for the younger generation, it's going to go a lot easier for you when we realize, hey, we need the other generations. The Lord's instructing us to be unified with them because they're going to fight on our behalf and they're going to partner with us in victory. Joshua wins the battle, but it's a big victory for all of Israel. The women and the children at camp and those unable to fight, it's also Moses, Aaron, and Hur's victory on the hill overlooking the battlefield. And so we fight for one another and celebrate each other's victory as our own. The success that is happening in our youth group is our success. It is the success of the kingdom. The victory that is happening in your lives is our success as brothers and sisters. We cheer each other on. Yesterday uh, night, we're working with Amelia because she likes to win. She's a three-year-old who likes to win. And every night, we race up the stairs. And it's not really racing. I'm just holding her, and she's, go, Dad, run, run, run. We're winning, Mom, we're winning. She has Rowan. Well, I took us on a detour last night, and she thought it was fun, but then she realized Rowan was ahead of her. And she flipped out. She freaked out. So for about 20 minutes, we were trying, you know, as much as we could with a three-year-old, hey, when someone else wins, we say, good job. Good job. And we're excited for them, and we celebrate with them. Instead, she was mad at brother. (laughs) How dare you win? How dare you win? But it's not that we look at at the younger generation and say, man, why do you get to do that? It's no. We get to do that. You get to play your part, and I get to play mine, and it's our victory, right? It's our victory together. Unity under the will of God brings about victory. Because though... though, Oh, typo. (laughs) I know. You're part of the impact and work God is doing in someone else's life when you decide to unify with them, when you decide to connect to them and partner with them and fight for them. Amen. I want to be a part of their victories. I want to claim their victories as my own. Isn't that great that even though I can't, I'm already starting to not be able to move like them, I still get the victory and the benefit of their movement, right? And their energy. But here's some keys to the connection. We're going to fly through these real quick. Keys to connection. We're referencing back to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Here's keys to the connection. Verse 2 of, of Ephesians 4, we understand this. We need to love one another in humility and gentleness. 
Humility and gentleness describe the approach to connection. Humility and gentleness describe the approach to connection, not being proud or arrogant or overbearing. Look at 1 Peter 5, 2 through 5. Care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, all of us, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We are commanded to put on a cloak of humility so that we may be united. I, ima I imagine this kind of like, I get to... I do not know. It's just, the, it's just how it is, I, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it has... It's a good catch. I don't think it has any significance. I just think that... Oh, okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. I imagine you putting on a cloak humility like this. You go into, you go, you open up your closet and you have many different options of shirts and cloaks. And you decide, I'm taking the one of humility and I'm putting it on today. It's an intentional decision on our part. There's a variety of options for us to choose but we're commanded to choose humility and put it on. In this way, when we choose to unite in humility and gentleness, there is a blessing and favor from the Lord rather than opposition from the Lord. I choose the blessing, right? <laughs> I do not want the Lord opposing me, and so I put on a cloak of humility. It's like fight against, it's, right? Point my angel armies at you. How many of you guys? Do you? I mean, how many of you guys want the the God's armies facing you? So when we go to the closet of many cloaks and different options, he says, "Choose humility." You grab anything else. He's like, "Oh, looks like we have a target right there." Looks like they, they want to play some games. I don't play games, but they want to play games. Choose a cloak of humility. Put it on. And yes, this comes even when we approach the younger generations. I believe this especially applies for us younger who approach the older generations. I put myself in that category. And in verse 2, this is our second key to connection. It says, patience and grace. Patience and grace. Patience and grace help us to understand how to maintain unity. You enter into unity with humility and gentleness. You establish the connection. Patience and grace maintain the connection. If there is no patience from all of you who have united and partnered and been for me, I would have been gone a long time ago. Been gone a long time ago. But you've remained united with me, showing me deep patience and grace. If there is no grace 
then the moment anyone messes up, it's all over. Patience and grace are key because even though we follow Christ and we are working out our salvation, we're not made perfect. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. We still have faults, still battling against the flesh that is relentlessly attacking against us. Patience and grace also communicate to one another that you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the weight. You're worth the pain. You're worth the struggle. You are worthy of love. How many of you know that patience and grace are hard? And are found, they're found in the Spirit because it doesn't really feel great for the one giving the patience and grace, right? The giver of patience and grace, it's not like the best feeling in the world. I've got to wait on you. I've got to forgive you. Yeah, they don't, you do not deserve this. I am going to give it to you. And so who bears the burden of that? The giver of the patience and the grace, right? The giver of those things. So when I do that for someone, when I, when I give you something that you do not deserve, and when I'm patient for you, I'm saying you're worthy of now the struggle that I'm putting on myself. And it's through the Spirit that I'm able to walk on through that, and the Lord commands me to do so. But through that, I'm communicating, you're worth it, I love you, you're worth the pain, you're worth the struggle, you're worth every moment, because I want to remain united with you. I want to be for what God is doing in you. Amen? Yeah. This isn't a marriage seminar, but maybe it could be. Yeah. Remember, this is... We're talking about unity with an eye toward the generations, but all of this is basic unity principles. This applies to unity in every respect. I, imag I imagine what it was like for Joshua as the battlefield turned against him as Moses' hands fell. You look up at the mountain and say, what the heck's going on up there, old man? Just raise those hands. Can it really be that hard? I, can, I got one sword, and I'm raising my hand. Let's go. But there's no account that that happened, so you shouldn't have that picture in your head. Just my own imagination. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that guy, that guy. Yeah. He died. What, what's going on up there? Anyways. We have no account of that happening, but it shouldn't happen between us. We offer each other patience and grace. Imagine the amounts of patience and grace it takes when you're losing the battle, people are falling around you, and the only explanation, you're looking up, you're saying, the hands are down. I give you patience and grace. Yeah, these are, this, is, this is the young guy and the old guy. Like, this is, I mean, besides the, the, the younger men who are not able to fight, there's a, there's a big old gap. Why don't you understand this? The victory there is dependent on those two being unified. Joshua could at any point say, I'm done with this, we're out. Would have probably been, huh? And Moses could have said, I'm done with this, I'm out. What, what, what effect does my hands being raised have on his actual sword? God says, no, there's a connection. 
And so to us, he's saying, listen, there is an impact that you are having on the battlefield that they're standing on, even though you're on the hill. You fight for them in the way that I have allowed you to fight for them. If it's hands raised up for prayer, you fight that way. If it's with a sword in your hand on the battlefield, you fight that way. But regardless, you're for one another, you remain united, and when one drops the ball, you give them patience and grace, and you stay united even in the mistake. Unity is an important key principle of the kingdom. In the world, it's not. Oh, you mess up? You just gave me an excuse I can leave now. Nice. I'm going to go do it my way. It's not how it works in the kingdom. We're commanded to stay connected. Stay connected. Let's maintain unity with peace and grace. And here's a third. And it says this in verse 3 in Ephesians 4. Letting peace be our aim. Letting peace be our aim. Peace, not rivalry, not division, is the aim. My goal is to not prove that I'm better than you. It's not to prove that I'm more fit. I'm the new young hotshot. It's not any of that. It's that there would be peace between us. Not a competitive spirit, but one that aims to knit together the body of Christ. Look at Matthew 5, 9. Last week, Eric gave us a little assignment. Go and read the Beatitudes. Anybody do that? Or the Sermon on the Mount. This is from the Beatitudes. Go and read the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the Beatitudes. There's a few chapters. Did it as often as I could this week, and this stood out to me. Matthew 5, 9, it's one of the Beatitudes. God blesses those who work for peace, for they are called the children of God. In fact, it's funny, when you look at the Beatitudes, there's nine of them, and three of them, a possible fourth, are all, all kind of mirror what's being said in Ephesians 4. So we can say this, there is blessing in unity. There is blessing when we knit together ourselves in peace. And it's from God. So here's what I want to do this morning. Ask Noah and Kinsey to jump up. We're, as a, as a body, are going to commit ourselves to unifying to get together across generations. Commit ourselves to praying for them, actively seeking out ways that we can fight on their behalf, being for them. And yes, from the younger generation, we're saying that we are going to be submitted to the older generation. We are going to approach them with humility. And our aim amongst all of us is that we'll be united in peace. Because it's there where the victory is found. Both your victory and my victory, because we share victory. Amen? Let's open ourselves up to the blessing of God that is found in kingdom unity. Let the Spirit lead you in ways to connect with each generation. To be about what God is doing in them. To be, what God, to be for what God is laying on their hearts. To lead them by example. To guide them in humility, patience, and grace. And to fight for them on the field of battle in prayer. And search for opportunities to invest in them. Let's continue to do this well. The church is a multi-generational church. A healthy church is a connected church along those lines. We want to be that church. 
Young people were for you. Yeah, right? Older generations were for you. We're together. Yeah, we're together. And for all of us, this is what the Lord guarantees, blessing in that unity, blessing in the unity. Someone asked me, hey, why, why, do you, why are you looking to connect with the other youth pastors? Why do you do this unity thing? I can, like, how, how does that even work? And at the time, me not really understanding, I said, listen, I, I don't understand the kind of mystery that's behind it. All I know is that there's blessing in it. And I want that blessing. There's blessing in it. There's victory in it. And God is in it. So I want to be in it. And that was it. It doesn't tell us exactly what the blessing looks like. But I know there's blessing. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for being the God of my generation. And of all generations. We thank you, Lord, that in your kingdom there can be a unity across generations. And we ask, Father, that you put on our hearts the ways that we can today to connect, to be for one another, to fight each other's battles, that we may all enjoy the victory and the blessing that comes from you. We want this for us, for our church. We thank you for what you're doing. We praise you, Father, and we worship you. Guide us into this time of worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.